Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Looking at these notes, normally I get a little more time in the morning to just refresh myself on the notes for the week, but uh, we had two beautiful worship leaders go down, and I didn't know I was going to be leading till about 10 last night, so uh, so we were pulling that together last minute, so I didn't get my last moment uh, sermon prep recap, so I, I hardly remember where this is going, so we're going to have fun <laughs> together. Uh, no, honestly, I think we'll be okay. Uh, we're, we're, of course, approaching Christmas and looking at this uh, season of, of trying to understand, like, just how important the incarnation of Jesus is, like, how significant it is that God came uh, to be a man and to interact with his people and to get to know us and to walk with us and journey with us. Uh, the reality of the closeness of God is, is so important. Oh, what? Oh, hey, let's have some slides. There we go. There we go. That's good. See, I'm, I'm totally on it this morning. Um, yeah, so just the reality of that closeness of God is just, is, is really important. And, and one of the themes that I think is uh, really jumping out to me as I was reading this sermon text and just the Christmas story as I was preparing for this, you know, even as early as October, was looking at the journey of the wise men. And of course, that story is there uh, so that we get a sense of the importance of who Jesus is. So as, as Luke is writing the story, he's wanting to bring in every significant character, every significant person all through his writings and even through Acts. He's making relational connections so that we know uh, the importance of Jesus and who he is. So Luke has heard this amazing story of the wise men coming uh, from the east and, and he's like, man, this is a significant thing. Like for some reason, God sent these people to visit Jesus. It's a sign of the kingship of Jesus. It's a sign of the power of Jesus. It's a sign that who he was. So we really want to include that story. And so that's the main meaning of the story first, uh, is just us getting a look at wise men coming from the east and understanding that, that it means that Jesus is just a more significant person than we know. But what I wanted to actually take from the text this morning was for us to just observe uh, their journey uh, of seeking, their journey of coming to find this baby in a manger and see what we can learn about our own seeking. Uh, we are all coming into our faith with uh, lots of questions, with uh, lots of doubts, with wrestling about uh, how we're going to follow God and what we're going to find in our relationship with Him. Some of us who have been uh, believers for a long time uh, might even be, uh, be bored or, or have done the church thing or feel like you've done the discipleship thing. And, and you're kind of like, you know, so I, I sort of know the Bible story. I know, uh, you know, the goodness of God. I know that I'm saved. I've got all of that stuff under my belt. What does it mean for me to be a seeker, like a lifelong seeker? Uh, forever. Dallas Willard uh, says it like this, until our thoughts of God have found every visible thing and event glorious with his presence, the word of Jesus has not yet fully seized us. 
So it's just something in that that just sort of draws us, even if you're a mature believer, uh, to, to say, you know what, I have not come anywhere close to plumbing the depths of the beauty of God or understanding who He is. There is more of Him for me to know, more of Him for me to seek. And so we want to, for those of you that have been believers for a long time, sort of stoke the fires of that hunger to know Jesus and to understand Him and get to know Him better. And if you're in the place where maybe where the wise men were with maybe a little bit of information on the front end and, and not really knowing about God or not sure who he is or not sure if you want to seek him, uh, for you, uh, my prayer is that that journey of seeking would have a fire again lit under it, that there would be a hunger inside of us. And I think we're going to see some things in the story that will help us uh, understand how important it is to live our whole lives as people who are seekers after God. I've included this uh, little image of a camel caravan for us uh, just so that we can get that in our heads, striking out across the desert wasteland and, and going out there to follow and find Jesus and find where he was. But let's just jump into the story. Matthew chapter 2, 1 to 12, and Jared and Alicia read this for us. I'm just going to read the first uh, few verses and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Right? So just, just off the bat, and, and I think we, we very often have this image in our heads that comes from Sunday school or whatever, or maybe some of the sermon graphics I've used in the past, where you've got these three lonely wise men sort of following a star and trying to follow that star across the mountains and rivers and hills and get to uh, where Jesus is. But when you read the text, you see that uh, there was something maybe a little bit more complex going on and just a ton of questions. As I was reading the text, just a ton of questions coming to me. For starters, who were the Magi? Like, who were these people? Uh, what does it matter uh, to them that a king was born in Jerusalem? Why would that matter to wise men from the East? Kings live and die in different communities and different countries and different nations around the world. What was it about these wise men that somehow saw something in the stars uh, so significant that would make them pick up from where they are and go on journey? Have you ever just even asked that question? Like, who cares? Another king lives and dies in Israel. Like, there are like three or four or five living prime ministers of Canada, future prime ministers of Canada right now, right? They will someday be, uh, go through high school, someday go through college, someday go through some sort of political process and ultimately be elected. Is anybody looking for these kids? <laughs> right? Nobody's looking for these kids. Why, why, is, this, why is this a significant moment? Uh, there's something in that for us. Um, what was their journey like? Um, what was the significance of the sign in the sky? What did that matter? Why would, why would these pagan scholars want to come and not just observe and see this new king and visit him, but why would they actually come with the intention to worship him? Where, where did that desire in their hearts come from? Right? So there's a lot of gaps in the story. And I think in trying to fill in some of the gaps, we can see some, some beautiful things and learn some things. So this is a map and of 
possibly what the wise men's journey was, and I wish there was more contrast there, but um, you can see uh, far over on this side is a little town called Yads, and that is in currently in Iran. And you can find old Bible maps of this, but I went Google Earth and I mapped it out so that I could know exactly how many kilometers it would take me and that it's a 35-hour drive. Um, so that's a little bit faster than the wise men were able to go. Uh, but from Yads through Susa, through uh, what is ancient Babylon, I just did this by mapping out ancient historical sites, um, ancient ruins basically, and, and making a car trip. Uh, up through to the north, and then down south through Damascus uh, to Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And, and, and so the question is, like, why travel, you know, 2,710 kilometers to see some random baby? Like, wh why do it? Uh, in, in trying to understand that, it's really important to understand, like, the magnitude of that journey. Like that image that we've seen of just, you know, three wise men striking out across the desert. You know, this isn't three wise men. This was like a significant caravan of people. This was probably dozens of people uh, traveling. They went through this town called Yaz. Now, I'm, I'm saying this is a possible a starting point for them. Yaz was the center of Zoroastrianism at that time, which was a competing religion in that, in that space, in that part of Iran at the time. But these were the people who were the most renowned scientists and scholars and astrologers. So it is most likely that it was people from there that were watching the stars closely enough to see what was going to happen. So they possibly started out there or possibly they started out in Babylon, but their journey would have probably taken them through Susa, one of the capitals of what we would call the Parthian Empire at the time, where the Babylonian Empire had crumbled, uh, the Assyrian Empire had crumbled, um, and, and the Parthian Empire, which was more like a loose collection of sort of feudal lords, was, was still there. But the city of Susa was quite large and functioning. They would have then gone through Babylon. This is pictures of the ruins of Babylon. I, I'm showing these images so that we can understand that the story is historical, that there were real things that these people saw, that this Bible story isn't just something that's kind of made up and invented, that these people would have gone through uh, significant hardships, significant challenges. They would have had to navigate new cities. They would have had to pave tolls. Uh, they would have had to find places to sleep. And most of their journey would have actually happened along uh, what we call the Royal Road. This was a road that was built in... Uh, under Darius. Darius is the, the, one of the kings who was part of sort of oppressing the people of Israel when they were taken off into, into Babylon and taken off into Persia. Um, and he actually had built a road that was about, um, uh, what's my note, 160, sorry, 1,065 miles. And I should have converted that to kilometers for us. Uh, that's, that's a pretty significant road back in that time, right? It looked like this. For most of it, it had these kind of blocks and kind of cobbles and wound its way across. There were about 111 lodges along the route. Um, and every, fi every 15 miles or so, uh, there was a lodge where people could stop and stay. It was funded by, uh, by the government so that uh, messages could go and uh, goods could go and people could travel. So the journey is something that was sort of a significant journey uh, on kind of a known road with probably hundreds of people to bump into along the way, cities to navigate, people to talk to, taxes to pay. Some of these ruins that we saw um, through the city of Babylon were probably, you know, visible to them. They probably saw those same images that we saw. 
And they packed up their things and they carted them their, their goods and all of the supplies they needed and all the money and resources they needed to resupply. And they went on this incredible 2,700 kilometer journey to go and find a baby. Why? Why? And the first answer that I think there is for us, that just, 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 I just don't think we understand this, is that he's worth the journey. He's worth the journey. Like, are you and I as disciples invested at that level in seeking Jesus, in being disciples, in getting to know him like that? What of our goods would we leave behind? What of our goods would we need to take with us on our discipleship journey? What resources uh, do we need to spend in order to make that journey possible? That journey of constantly seeking and coming to know Jesus and plumbing the depths of the beauty of who he is. Do we see our discipleship journey as a journey of this much significance? I think for the case of most of us, I don't think we're invested like this, right? So doesn't that call you forward into following him and into knowing him and to, to seeking him a little bit more? It leaves us with that question, like, what, did they have information? Did they have something that pointed them in the direction? You'll remember from the text uh, that we said they... They arrived and they spoke to Herod and they said, we have come to see the one who is born king of the Jews. So they knew before they got there who they were coming to see. How did they know that? We saw his star and we came. Right, They saw his star sometime, probably a year or a couple of years in the past. Then they traveled, you know, 2,700 kilometers and said, we saw his star and we came to see the one who is born king of the Jews. They weren't just investigating. We come to see some random baby, what's going on. They knew. How did they know? Well, in Jerusalem, um, as, as we looked at in the first uh, first part of the series, you know, all of the Jewish people were sort of in that holy land, but when uh, the kings of Babylon and Assyria came and carted them away, they carted them back to Babylon and Assyria, what we now know as Iraq and Iran, right? And there were living, thriving communities of Jewish people there for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is a Sassoon Synagogue. This is a synagogue that was built by the Jewish community in Iran in uh, the 1700s. So up until the 1700s, at least, there were thriving Jewish communities in that place. You'll remember the story of Daniel uh, when he was brought to serve King Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom of Babylon. They, they spoke and, and he rose to a place of prominence in the court. He became one of their chief leaders, the leader over their wise men at the time. And so we can assume that written into the DNA, written into the story, written into the cultural life of the people of Babylon was Jewish teaching was the books of the law, was uh, the, 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 the teaching of, of G, or, uh, that was leading towards Messiah. And so we see all of these synagogues. I'm going to show you another one. This one was built in about uh, 500 AD, and it's thought to be the place that is the tomb of Ezekiel. And that's located also uh, in, in Iraq, uh, which was at the time Babylon. 
And so it was believed that Ezekiel went there, that that's where he was when he died. And uh, Jewish communities grew up and flourished and, and, and lived in those places. And they taught. And it's all through uh, the, uh, the days of um, Jesus and all the days leading up to that, all that time through the Parthian Empire, that these communities of Jewish believers were living and interacting with their culture and, and sharing essentially the Word of God. There are stories of the conversion of Persian kings. There are stories of letters going back and forth from the Jewish community in Jerusalem to the Jewish community in in Persia, uh, saying, hey, the Romans have come, they've taken over, um, please send us some military support. It's thought that there was about a million to uh, 800,000 to a million Jewish people living in Iran and Iraq uh, during that time. So there's a thriving community there. So the wise men had a foundation for their seeking. They had information, they had an under, uh, un undergirding understanding of the Word of God. And I think that for us is the other sort of relevant piece for this story is that as we seek, don't, we don't neglect the undergirding reality of the truth of God's Word that's already in us. And as we call our friends to seek, we call our friends to come and know Jesus and, and to come to love Him and come to find relationship with Him. Uh, those who don't know Jesus, uh, they're, they're surrounded by a culture that has Christian foundations and Christian roots. And we want to invite people to remember those roots, just like those wise men probably did when they saw a star in the sky and they were probably trying to figure out what it was. They remembered the Jewish scholarship that they'd learned in their youth and thought, wait a minute, I understand what's happening here. This has something to do with the Jewish people when they put two and two together and their journey uh, is fueled by the word. That's how they arrived with Herod and knowing to ask, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? Because they had the teaching in their surrounding culture. And so that's just something really important for us is the word of God is, is always the starting point for our understanding. Regardless of what experiences, regardless of what signs we have in our lives. We, we, we very often want a fresh experience with the presence of God. We want something new. We want something exciting. We want something dynamic. We want something emotional. Um, but there's, there's scholarship and research and, and digging into the world, Word and remembering your children's stories as you, as you go and engage with that. I'm just going to go back a slide because I want to read a text. Numbers 24, uh, 17 reads like this. Uh, and this is, this is what is, would be called uh, the star prophecy. So this is in the Old Testament. It's uh, what would, you guys remember the story of Balaam? Without getting into it too much, Balaam was this uh, voice who, uh, through crazy circumstances, ended up speaking a prophetic word about the Messiah that became important to the nation of Israel. So every Jewish scholar who was looking for Messiah knew this verse in Numbers 24. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's way back in the book of Numbers, written in the time of Moses. And so all of these scholars probably had access to these scriptures and this understanding that something about Judah, something about this nation of Judah, has something to do with a, a star uh, rising out of Israel. And so they had this bit of the Word of God in their hearts and this bit of understanding that was foundational. And so when the star comes, uh, we, we see that there are people who are there curious. There are people who are looking. There are people who are wanting to learn. There are people who are wanting to know uh, what is happening. What you see on your 
left is Babylonian records of a triple conjunction, of, of something that could very likely have been uh, the star of Bethlehem that the scholars had seen. Uh, triple conjunction isn't just isn't three planets coming together. It's when a planet goes into retrograde motion, and this is where I wasted so much time this week nerding out on this stuff, and you guys probably do not care at all. Um, but, <laughs> but I had so much fun because I'm a nerd. Um, so, so it's when it's when you you look at a you're looking at an object that's far away, and you're moving, right? And it's also moving, but it can look like it's not moving forward when it's not moving forward. So, if you drive by a bicycle person on Cavanaugh Road, which they shouldn't be there, there's a path over that way. Uh, <laughs> if you drive by somebody on a bicycle, right, and you drive by fast in a car and you look at them, relative to you, they're going backwards, right? And so that's what happens with the stars and the planets, right? So we look at Jupiter, and relative to the background of the stars that are out there, um, because of the way the Earth moves, there are times when it looks like Jupiter loops backwards. Well, in the time, you know, roughly in the neighborhood of Jesus' birth some years before, there was uh, a very, very rare occurrence where uh, Jupiter um, actually uh, returned and, and did, did that loop three times. And that happens uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of every 56 years, uh, which means that people with the lifespan that they had there, would, would there would be no living people who would have seen that twice, right? And so these, these scholars, and this is, I mean, there are so many theories about what the Bethlehem star was, what the sign were the people saw. It was supernovas, and it's comets, and it's all kinds of alien appearances. You know, it's all, all kinds of crazy stuff. But this one is just kind of my favorite, um, because it's actually, that event is actually recorded in, in the record in Persian. Like, it's written on clay tablets. People saw that and wrote it down. Right, and we have record of it also in from the Han Dynasty in China. So people all over the world saw something unique happening in the sky at that moment. Um, so in terms of orbital mechanics, there's this triple conjunction, and there's just some really unique things about it. Remember, we said that a star would rise out of Jacob, right? Well, this constellation that that Jupiter would have done this retrograde motion around. Uh, was the constellation Leo. And what is, of course, the sign of this nation of Judah? Who is, who, what's a name that we have in some cheesy worship songs about, the, about who Jesus is? He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And so we have this constellation associated, and constellations were in that ancient world associated with all different kinds of things. One constellation, you know, sort of referred to Rome, another one referred to Greece, another one referred to Persia, another one referred to Judah, and so on. They just sort of attached physical places, among other things, to these constellations. And so this constellation uh, Leo is where Jupiter went through and did this incredible uh, retrograde motion that was just so rare, right? And not only did it, did it happen in the constellation uh, of Leo, which, which would to many people signify Judah, uh, this nation, uh, this little star Regulus that you see that it sort of circled over the top of, and you can sort of see almost that, that Jupiter crowned Regulus, right? And Regulus is known, was known at the time as the king star. So you have the king planet, Jupiter, three times crowning the king star. 
in the constellation that points to Judah. And that happened. It's written down in the historical record. And they've also determined it just by, you know, figuring out the orbital, orbital mechanics and, you know, there's, there's software that they've, they've looked at. This actually happened in history. Sometime just before the birth of Jesus. And so I don't know if this is what the wise men saw. I don't know if this is what they observed. But it's my favorite theory about it. And I think what we can take from it is that God has set the stars in motion to reveal himself to you. Whatever that sign was, whether it was this cockamamie theory or something else, God set the stars in motion to reveal himself to humanity. And we see that in the scriptures. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out, he pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Now, we don't have to all go out and become astronomers, but the reality is, is if we look at the world he's created, we can see, we have to. Romans says we have no excuse for, for not seeing the beauty and majesty of God. And to me, this just, this just makes me feel incredibly loved. Like, like, imagine, like, whether, whether God created the world in a literal six days or whether you're a person who believes that he did it uh, through, uh, through the Big Bang process, you know, billions of years ago, God at one moment spoke the universe into existence and out of nothing created atoms and molecules and matter and energy and sent it scattering out through the universe and organized it all. Like, imagine the phenomenal mind of God, the phenomenal computations, the incredible complexity necessary to take from nothing and spread out across the vastness of the universe to set in place a way so that those molecules, those stars, those atoms would arrive at the right place at the right time to signify to people in that time place that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords was being born in Judah. Like, come on, God spoke that into existence. We would think it would be phenomenal if a friend took a billiard ball and, and, and was playing pool and struck it on the first shot and all the balls went into the hole. We'd be blown away. But this is just a trillion times bigger in terms of magnitude. He, at that moment when he spoke the universe into existence, he knew where the molecules would go that would form uh, this cluster of cells that would be the optic nerve of the men who observed it. And he placed those in the world exactly where he wanted them, by his sovereignty and by his power, so that we could see his love, so that we could see his beauty. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants to reveal himself to you. That is the power with which he is broadcasting his love to you and to me. He wants so very much for you to seek him and for you to see 
and for you to know his infinite beauty and infinite glory. And if we have anything in us that thinks that we're done and we figured it out and we've got enough, we're absolutely mad. We're absolutely nuts. Because he is so good and so big and so vast and his love is so unending that we can never, ever, ever tire of trying to plumb the depths of the beauty of who he is. He's worth the journey. He's worth the investigation. He's worth knowing. And as we go through the text, we have this story of Herod, and I'm going to just, for the sake of time, skip over it, but there's, there's some great beauty in this. But when Herod the, Herod the king heard all of this, when they arrived and they asked these questions, and they asked where the king of the Jews was, this, this person whose star they had seen, and, and this journey that they'd come 2,700 kilometers to discover. Everybody was troubled. Everybody was perturbed. And they ran into this character, Herod, who was there actually waiting to deceive them and waiting to uh, distract them and waiting to misuse them. And so there's just a warning in this text for us as well. Um, again, I'm going to skip over some beautiful things. Um, but you will have to move past the temptations and distractions along the way. You're just going to have to do that. There, there's this incredibly beautiful journey ahead for you, but, but there are people, there are things, there is material, there is an enemy that wants to distract you from being a seeker after God. That wants to distract you from being somebody who follows after him. First Peter, Peter warns us about this. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Christians everywhere are, are wrestling with uh, the reality of Massive distraction. Massive temptation. Uh, Those wise men could so easily, so easily have just got stuck in Jerusalem and never gone the rest of the way to Bethlehem. Right? We have Jerusalems, we have Herods in our path that are designed to distract us, designed to trap us, designed to catch us there and, and keep us from following through with the journey. And you could just kind of imagine what it was like that, that moment. Like, I'm sure uh, the wise men spent some time in Jerusalem, right? We don't know the time frame on these things, but I'm sure they got a tour of the temple, Right? I'm sure they had a chance to look around. They'd read about uh, the people of Israel. Uh, they, they'd had that cultural history they'd picked up in, in Persia. They, they knew some of those things, and they would get to tour the city, and they would get to look around, and they would get to walk into the temple, and they would uh, be wined and dined in Herod's palace. Uh, they would have all of the good treats offered to them. And, and they would want, uh, the people of Jerusalem would want them to stay and, and spend their money. Like, let's hold a conference. These guys came. Like, let's, let's do it. Let's make up some t-shirts and hats and, and have some things that we could sell so that, you know, we can capitalize on this great event. This is no small thing that this caravan has come. 
And so you just kind of imagine those, those scholars when, when Herod said, yeah, actually, I need you to go find out. I'm going to use you and abuse you to go and find out about this child. And we can imagine they're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're on a journey here. We, we've got to find this, this child. We've got to find this person, Jesus. And imagine that they've been in the lights of Jerusalem uh, for, for a number of weeks. And there's a point at which they probably said, oh, yeah, let's, is that star out there still somewhere? Maybe they got up on the roof of Herod's palace on some dark night when uh, the lights of the city had died down and everybody's cooking fires and lamps weren't lit and the sky was dark. And it says this, after listening to the king, they went on their way, maybe just outside the gates of the city. They knew that they were going to Bethlehem. This is what the scholars had revealed to them. And so they're just going. They're like, okay, so Bethlehem's the next part of their journey. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came over the place where the child was. Now, isn't that amazing? Because Herod's told them where to go. He's already told them that they're going to Bethlehem, right? And the Lord just gratuitously, just, I think, to encourage their hearts and to pinpoint their journey, lets the star shine in the sky again. So they can remember the excitement they had when they first saw the star. And that we don't know what that was. Some people think that the two events were separate. Some people think that the star of Bethlehem that they saw uh, when they were um, back in Persia and then the new star that they saw um, when, when they went to Bethlehem, because Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem, right? So they would have had to see something a little bit different in the south. And so what people think and what happened around that time, this is another thing that was recorded and another thing that the computer models have discovered is that in and around that time, there was a conjunction of Jupiter and Venus. That's a, this is an image that somebody took with their camera, with a good camera, probably not an iPhone or anything like that. But, but there are very rare moments in history where Jupiter and Venus come so close together, they're not distinguishable as two separate planets. They're just one very, very bright star. And that's a rare, rare occurrence in, in the way that the planets move. And, and some people think that maybe that, and I don't know, this is another cockamamie theory. We don't know what really happened, but wouldn't that be amazing if they, at that moment of going outside of Herod's uh, temple, leaving Jerusalem, heading south to Bethlehem, they see some other bright and amazing star rise in the sky to remind them of their journey. And I think that's just another truth we can take from this, is that you will have joyful moments of discovery along the way. The end goal is good. The end goal is awesome. But there are, there are many, many discoveries along your journey. So don't forget and don't miss the beautiful small things, the beautiful small steps on the journey that you have with God. And don't, don't forget them. Like, you've had them. You've had incremental steps where God has revealed some little thing for you, and you're still hungry for more. But don't, don't cease to celebrate all the small steps of your journey and be delighted in them. And so the journey goes on, that star shining, uh, leading them uh, south towards Bethlehem. And it says, And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned uh, in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
And I think this is just this last thought from their journey from, from me. Uh, true seeking isn't self-seeking. In some ways, we can talk about seeking as what do I get? What, what, what fills me? What do I find? But when you're seeking Jesus, the end of seeking is always worship. It's always worship. It's always a pouring out of our lives and a pouring out of our hearts and a giving of ourselves, giving of our treasure, giving of our lives to who he is. And so I just want us to feel that this morning, to feel that, that incredible love that God has for you, that he would design the universe and paint the skies in such a way that you would be led to him, that you would be led to his story, that you would be led to where he is, that these wise men would be led to a manger in Bethlehem uh, to see a young Jesus, probably two years old by the time they got there, uh, living and walking and, and, and going about. And they would, they would get to see him and that they would fall down and worship at his feet. Maybe not even knowing that he would ultimately be the one who is sacrificed to save us for our sins, ultimately be our salvation, ultimately be the only path we have to life. And so would we just be seekers? Would you understand the love of God? Understand the incredible love he has for you. The incredible journey of endlessly seeking him and seeking his goodness and seeking the mystery and seeking to know him. And falling in love with him again and again. And falling down in worship again and again. Because that is the end of our journey. And the end of the journey, the end of the story has us gathered around the throne of God with a great multitude crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, casting down our crowns before him. Just as these three wise men cast their gifts before the child. Will we be seekers? That we use our salvation not just for our joy, not just for us, but we use it to share it, use it to find him, use it to discover and use it to worship and to love him more and more. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca.